Come closer, please. I've something to tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you do? Blooded Black Rum Podcasts and Halloween. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blooded Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coldsploitation.com and I'm joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? Oh, it's going spooky. We're starting our Halloween fest, the seasonal tradition that we always do that's um, every single week throughout most of September and all of October. And Get this, that early jump. That's right. And as you can tell from our opening sequence that I haven't actually recorded yet, so it's It's sort of new to me as well. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. Uh, This year, we're doing Anthalloween. Yeah, we just like to mash up the words Halloween and some other things. So Mm -hmm. we pick our our, uh, choices based on what goes together. Halloween. Yeah, what what makes Halloween and what mashes up together. So, no, I'm just kidding. We so we did remake Ween one year. And uh that was really fun. But this year we wanted to do something a little bit different. We and we didn't want to do something like what we've done. I can't believe it's been like 2 years now. Yeah, I know. And we didn't want to do something else like um another series because that's that's a ta- it's a toll on everybody. <laughs> it's a toll on us, it's a toll on you listening through all the ups and downs, mainly the downs, you know. Yeah. Just have flashbacks. It's kind of interesting how hard Halloween was to do, the series. As a as a film series, it was a difficult chore well, now, to take say, now, now that it's been four years, I kind of want to go back and watch the Saw films. Yeah. Test them out again. Not one through three. I I really want to focus on the Costas Mandalore. You want, you, want the, uh, you want the ones that you were really iffy on when you were doing it before. Four through six. Because well, you, I was iffy on all of them. So. Yeah. But I, really, I really want to re- revisit re- those and see if they still get the nice Casas Man yeah. trilogy and the new one too, Jigsaw. Only Jigsaw s- two. Only saw that in theaters once, so don't have much to go off of on that. Just that one. And all I remember is that redhead chick. That's literally the only thing I remember about that movie. Uh, I guess I'd on ha- Tobin Bell. Yeah, I guess I'd have to go back and like listen to our own episode just to. God, what has that been, two, three years now? That's a long time ago, yeah. How we're, on, we're on year five of the show. Right for us. Which I changed, I just recently changed our uh, podcast logo, like, uh, artwork, to designate this year, which is year five. And if you saw the artwork, you'll know that I used a special alternative um, poster from The Fog. Coolio. Are we going to do, do that? Uh, yeah, at some point we'll probably do that, but not right now. But at some point. 
It's not an anthology. That's right. What we're focusing on are anthologies. And we're not, I don't think I'm going to reveal the movies that we're doing. Like, at we'll all. We'll let each one be a little surprise. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll surprise you each month. Like, obviously, I, I do announce it before the episode comes out. But I'm not going to say what we're doing in advance. I'll just say that, and we talked about this a little bit on the show before, we're doing it in, in eras. So this era is the 60s that we're doing today. And today, we're doing the um, weird sort of jello slash hammer mashup Black Sabbath by Mario Bava. Uh, now, if you are really well versed in horror, you'll know that, um, or at least you'll recognize that our podcast name comes from a Mario Bava film. It comes from Blood and Black Lace. And uh, as we've said multiple times on the show, we have not we, done it yet. Yeah, we've never done Blood and Black Lace. <laughs> uh, so we're saving it up for a really special occasion. Not our 100th episode, because that's in the, in the past. Not our 200. Yeah, something else. Something real special will do Blood and Black Lace. Uh, which I don't think you've seen, have you? No. Yeah. So that'll be real. That'll be a really special episode. Honestly, uh, until until this lovely podcast, this very moment, until this very podcast, never you know, never watched a Jello. So this podcast is you know brought into your horizons. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Which was the intention. I was supposed to be. Uh, You're the layman. I was apparently supposed to be, you know, the Carl Pilkington to your. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, you're the guy that just doesn't know anything. And yeah, we're just like just bringing the, you through culture. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just a dullard. Yeah. Just going like, what's going on? Well, this is stupid. Uh, so I actually, surprisingly, have never seen Black Sabbath. But well, I, you're a shitty horror fan. I right? guess so. I know. You can't see everything. You can't see everything. I've not seen every horror film, and I, there's probably quite a few that I haven't seen that people would be like, what? You haven't seen that one? <laughs> that, that just yeah, just like that. And that and the, Super surprised, so what? surprised that they couldn't even get out a normal, you know, sentence. It had to be in high pitched volume. Um, but I, yeah, I've never seen Black Sabbath before, but I had known about it, and obviously, I know Mario Bava quite well. Um, like most of his works, uh, very well known for doing uh, the sort of gaudy, um, uh, like eerie lighting scenarios that you see and um you 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 mean rip from vertigo <laughs> well sort of rip from vertigo but also um on its own as something that really influenced most yellow moving forward and influenced Dario Argento and and uh, Lucio Fulci and a lot of other filmmakers that um kind of took Mario Bava's original ideas that were sort of uh, steeped in the 50s and 60s where you know, the censorship was still a little bit more um, onerous. And then you they they took those ideas further and then they did a lot more with them in terms of gore and uh, stylistic violence. Though Blood and Black Lace does have um, quite a quite a, a display of violence on its own. Um, so Mario Bava, definitely an influential filmmaker, um, probably the one that most people would recognize as being um, a an ins- I guess I'll call it an inspiration is uh, a Bay of Blood, which influenced I would say influenced again in quotation marks um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, which I think we talked about previously on the show. Um, a scene where uh, the lovers are stabbed through comes directly from a Bay of Blood, and it's not never really like I, I don't know if it was intentional to 
steal that scene, but it certainly does come from A Bay of Blood, which was first. So Marabava, very influential for the horror uh, film. Um, and surprisingly, he doesn't get a lot of credit. Like, you hear a lot about Dario Argento. You hear a lot about some of the other filmmakers from the 80s, 70s and 80s, doing Giallo films. But do you, you don't hear a ton about Mario Bava, which is a shame. Like, had you heard of Mario Bava before this? Just from you. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, you weren't really well-versed in Giallo, but um, I think that it's a shame that Mario Bava doesn't... He's not a bigger name, because he does have a lot of works underneath him. Um, one of his bigger ones, besides uh, Bay of Blood and... Um, um, Blood and Black Lace is Black Sunday, which is another really fun film. Um, and I think part of it too is that sort of the decade that they came out in, especially for American viewers, um, Hammer films certainly overshadow Mario Bava's work uh, because there were just so many, and they all came out, and uh, it became sort of a sort of a like a cult thing to be able to say, yeah, I saw those Hammer films. Um, well, I think too. Um Hammer films did enough to push the envelope, but enough to like get by, like sent, like being totally censored. Yeah, the Italians don't have that, especially in America. You know, fifth, America's fifties and sixties. And as we, uh, which we'll talk about when we kind of get to this film. Yeah, I mean, things I, that seem very tame, and you know, today, big issue. In, you know, America in the sixties. There were a lot of films like Black Sabbath. That came out and they were censored by the AIP. They, so they had a American censored version that the AIP released uh, that cut out just like very slight moments that were just like a little too much for the censors. They were like, you know what? We got to shave off like this one moment where there's an extra stab or something like that. Something really like that doesn't to us doesn't seem very um impactful like it wouldn't make a or difference it totally just changes the story like uh, one that comes to mind greatly is like godzilla the original american cut they added an american actor and had a narration for it right changing the story entirely yeah. from something else yeah and that actually happened with black sabbath as we'll, we'll talk about it's changed some of the the context of the film uh quite significantly because of the the changes that they had to make for the censorship um so, yeah, really interesting. And and there's certainly a whole lot of study of Italian films and their, their releases. And uh, the other thing that comes to mind about Italian films is that they go through uh, 700 different names for American Italian cinema uh, from where they <laughs> release. So you have uh, various names for all different types of uh, Italian films. Um, there's, a, there's a really famous uh, mix-up here where, uh, you know, the American films House and House 2? Second story. Um, well, and it's in Italy. They uh, tons of sequels released to House, yet they weren't really sequels in America. So there's like House Four and House Five. Well, you well, got that I, even more famous, fa- <laughs> famously, famously. No, the most famous uh, example of that is, uh, hey, we got a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Um, yeah. No, not Day of the Dead. Um, zombie Two. Yeah, because there's no zombie. In- and we got a whole franchise out of that. Yep. Yeah, that's another one. Zombie 2, Zombie 3, Zombie 4, yeah. Zombie 5. They're not really sequels in any way to Dawn of the Dead, but yeah, they that, that happens quite a bit. It's great. Um, so we're a little bit off topic, but we're talking anthologies for this uh, this Halloween series. And the first one we're doing, Black Sabbath, Mario Bava. Um, it has uh, Boris Karloff in it as the uh, sort of wraparound 
tale leader. He's the guy that's telling the stories, apparently. Um, not, it, just, it just makes me think of Ed Wood. It's yeah, it's it's sort of like not, uh, not, not just like his films, but just the Tim Burton film Ed Wood with Bella Lugosi, you know, doing like the narration, like this is fucking bullshit. It, it's kind of interesting that they have Boris Karloff in this film to do the narration because it seems really unnecessary too. Like the the narration itself, um, as a because a lot of anthologies, as we'll talk about, as we do more anthologies in the in this uh, Halloween series, we'll have like a tale. Yeah, they have because they're stories, stories, stories being told. So they're sitting there, you know, basically like, well, didn't that just come to a creepy end? And now we have a tale of this. There's and and a lot of times there's a wraparound story. There's like a secondary story going on. That makes sense why they're telling the stories to us. In this case, it's like Boris Karloff is just on the set of another movie that we see towards the end of the film. He's just, just giving the narration. That's in the it. beginning and then the end. Yeah. He, he doesn't come in between the stories. It's, he's just there in the beginning and then he's there at the end. It's a really interesting twist and it was like Mario Baba was just like, you know what, we need Boris Karloff. And it's not even enough that he's actually in one of the stories. They needed him for the narrator. The one thing that's really interesting if you watch the Italian version of this film is that Boris Karloff's iconic voice is not in it because they've overdubbed him with an Italian speaker. <laughs> so, the, so one of the big reasons that you would have Boris Karloff as a narrator is for his voice. And that's completely obliterated once they have an Italian person dub over him for his well, maybe they had the Italian guy that's always dubbed him over, and you know, kind of like how in like uh, Italy and other places they had like a sp- specific person always dub over Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. So it's always got like oh, that's voice. So, so you know that voice. You yeah. know that. So the maybe same that's person. the case with Boris Karloff. I guess. Yeah, maybe. You know. Maybe. I don't. I don't know enough about that to really say anything. But at this point in his career, Boris Karloff was getting pretty old. He looked pretty good compared to like. What Bella was looking well, like, yeah, at the time. and and Bella really ran into some hard times there during his uh, his career, and somewhat to blame from from that is Boris Karloff. Uh, not really his fault, but uh, just two conflicting actors trying vying for similar roles, and one of them had to win, <laughs> and it was Boris Karloff. Um, but yeah, I, I mean. Um, it's really interesting that they got Boris Karloff for this role, just because it seems like he's uh, he's not necessary to the to the context of the film, and the three stories aren't really ever explained why we're getting them. There's no real wraparound story. There's no uh, overarching context of like why we as the audience need to hear these stories. But it doesn't really matter. It's just he's just there for the, I guess for the name recognition and and for people to say, yeah, that's Boris Karloff. Yeah, I know him. So, um, we will, so there's three stories in this anthology, um, the telephone, um, it, the Vertiloc and the drop of water. So we're, as we get into, uh, talking about this movie, we will do all three of the stories as, you know, sections. So we're going to, we'll talk about the one story, then we'll talk about the other and the other. Like an anthology. Yeah. And so the, the fun thing about this too, is that they are, almost perfectly 30 minutes a piece. So it's really like you're watching like a TV show that has three episodes in it. So, um, I like that. I like when they're an Italian, uh, twilight zone. Yeah. And I like when they're like, you know, 
perfect, no, I perfectly. No, uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say the first one's probably like twenty five minutes. The word locks like forty five minutes. No, I checked. They're pretty much. They're pretty. Uh, they're they're pretty close to each other, and in terms of length, except the Verdilock just feels longer. I will say that because, as we'll we'll talk about, but um, I did check my the time, and it, it they were pretty close. I think you're right though. The telephone is a, is slightly shorter because the drop of water sh- is the shortest. Yeah, and the drop of water is fairly short. I think the Verdilock is the longest at maybe like thirty six minutes, something like that. Um, but we'll talk about that as we get into the into the actual. Um, nitty gritty. Yeah, the nitty gritty of of these uh, these episodes in Black Sabbath. But first, we have to talk about beer, and the beer that we're doing for pretty much every single episode in our Halloween series. Bush, <laughs> you wish. No, <laughs> it's going to be Oktoberfests and ciders and all things that scream October. So we want to say. Yeah, we're not German at all, but uh, I am. You are. You are. Yeah, I'm not. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to speak for you. Yeah, speak for yourself. Yeah, Uh, but uh, my family's from actually most uh, Bavaria. Yes, exactly. You're from Bavaria. That's right. Pfaffenhoven. But but uh, we both are really big fans of Oktoberfests. And um, we uh, we like to experiment with different ones because it is interesting to note how different Oktoberfest can be from the traditional German Oktoberfest to the more multi-American Oktoberfest. Now, the thing is, and we have brought this up before, we kind of say the multi-American. German Marzins are multi. They are. But nowhere near as multi, though, as... Well, you know, we in at least in the Northeast with Oktoberfest get Amer- yeah. Uh, us Americans, we really like to pack the malt in, and that is kind of su- it's it's interesting. But that's now what I've come to expect from an Oktoberfest. So when we had a traditional German Oktoberfest a couple of years ago, we were like, "Wow, this is like extremely light." I guess Hoffenbrau. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was extremely light in comparison to what we were used to with an Oktoberfest, and I actually didn't prefer it. I preferred a more malty, heavy. Well, that's why o- both, I say that's why both of us love the Oktoberfest so much. Oh yeah, because it's like yeah, from Sarah, from, from Saranac, it's like yes, because like even like Harpoons is like it's malty, but it's not super malty. Like you know, it's got it got no. And I'll try. We'll try, and I'll definitely, even though it's super expensive, definitely try getting some of the German ones on here too, yeah. so we can yeah, give it a give, give it a little all, different. Yeah, and it. it's been. And you know, to be honest with you, it's been a while since I've had like a Hoffenbrau Oktoberfest or a Polliner or was you know mm-hmm. had any of theirs. So yeah, it'd yeah. be nice to go back and visit because you're right. Because up here, it's basically you live up, you live and die by like unfortunately like Sam's Octo. Harpoon's Octo. Genesee's Octo. Yep. So. Well, we got something new. Yeah, we got something new. I don't I don't believe that we've had it on the show before. Um, this one is Well your last untapped check-in on it was 70, 20, Yeah, 2013. So I don't I don't think so. Um but this one is on the very heavy side of malt. Um this is probably close to what the Darktoberfest is for Saranac. It's it's very heavy. It's um, almost to the point where, as you said, it's like a 
sort of a brown ale or even um, coming close to sometimes like a portery type of beer with the with the heaviness of it and uh, the uh, malty features. Not in, pro- I was say, not in like actual taste and mouthfeel or anything like that, but just like kind of, as you said, biscuitiness. Yeah. Because it's it's definitely doesn't have like the like overall carbonation or you know, because brown ales kind of tend to be a little bit lighter too, and this is actually pretty yep. pretty heavy. Yeah, it's a heavy one. Uh, not like not near heavy enough to be like on the porter side, but it's definitely you know a nice roasty toasty. If we were outside right now by the campfire, this would be, uh, this would be a good. <laughs> what we're talking about is uh, Left Hand Brewing Company's Oktoberfest. They're they're Mars and Lager. Uh, they're from Longmont, Colorado, and uh, we get a couple of different beers of theirs up here, but not too many. Um, Their milk stout is yep very. Um, the milk stout would probably be the most uh, popular beer that we have up here from the from Left Hand. Um, I have had the Oktoberfest before. It's uh, got a lion on the cover. On the uh, the front of the can, and um, it is what they would they they even call it themselves a very heavy malt flavor um, with a lot of toastiness to it. Um, and I did hear it described as biscuity, and that is a very uh, appropriate adjective for this beer as well. Um, they also call it spicy and clean, and I would agree with the cleanness at least. Spicy, not so. Yeah, much. I don't know how spicy it is, but it definitely is a clean. Um, very smooth drinking Oktoberfest. Um, with that, actually, it pa- and it packs a punch too. It's about six point six percent, which is on the higher side for an Oktoberfest. I don't know that they really go uh, too much above that. Uh, I think they probably actually more stick to like a five point five range. Five and a half. Steps, yeah, 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 something like that. Um, so six point six is pretty heavy uh, alcohol content for an Oktoberfest, but. Uh, what I like about this is the heavy malts, the, that flavor, the biscuity flavor to it, um, and then also the uh, there's a relative lack of hops in this, so that you don't really get a hoppy flavor to it. Um, a lot of some people like to do an Oktoberfest that's uh, kind of a balance between malt and hops, so you sort of get a hoppy flavor along with that malt. And uh, while that's not too bad, um, I do prefer the malt flavor to be really uh, a lot more forward than the hops in it. Um, and so this one is high on my list of good Oktoberfest. The only thing I will say about it is that, uh, if you try to drink a few of them, uh, certainly after two, you're really starting to have sort of a palate, uh, exhaustion, I would say, um, because it's so heavy, it's not really an easy beer to session or drink a few of. No. You want to stick to maybe two, maybe three. And that's, that's pretty much it. No, I, I totally agree. I I really enjoy this beer. It's very good. Um, just like you, I prefer to have my Oktoberfest on the maltier side. It's just kind of what we're used to. Um, it definitely is very malt forward. It's nice, toasty, biscuity. It's got a very clean fish finish, very smooth and easy to drink, but because of that heaviness with its malt con- uh, content and alcohol, it is right. Like A six-pack of this would be very, you couldn't session it or anything. It'd be like you have a couple and be like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, it's tough to get through. Um, after I think after you get through two is sort of the limit, and then the biscuity, fla- the malty flavors, those are just very overwhelming to the palate. I just want to have like a nice like apple pie with some ice. There you go. Alamode, you know, a nice. Yeah, it's almost scoop like scoop of vanilla coffee in that respect. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, this because of how heavy um, with the alcohol and it's very dominant malt and biscuitiness. Um, almost kind of like wanders into like a dessert beer. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. You know, it may not be like a coffee stout or porter or something, but this this would be like a nice like dessert beer. If you're like sitting like, you know, and having like a pumpkin slice of pumpkin pie or, you know, nice like apple danish or something at the end of the night. Have one of these to go with it. I wouldn't be having pumpkin pie, but I know you well you don't like pumpkin flavored. I'm not things. a pumpkin flavored person. Oh. What about pumpkin spice? Nope. I don't like any of those. Well, you know what? We're doing a pumpkin beer next I week. I don't like spices, spi- pumpkin spices. I don't like, uh, I don't even really like pumpkin beers that much. We're, we're gonna, it's one of the beers gonna, that I don't really prefer. We're going to do uh, Stump City Stumpkin. Are you going to get week. the Warlock? Bring that on? No, no. Imperial gonna, Pumpkin. No, we're going to do uh, Stump City Stumpkin. They just released it. I'll try it. We, I think we, I'm pretty sure we've had Stump City pumpkin ale honestly the only way that i would have a pumpkin i, think I wouldn't buy it myself i say i'm pretty sure there's just the double pumpkin too. yeah i mean i wouldn't buy it myself i would never go out of my way to buy a pumpkin beer for myself it's honestly been quite a few years since i've had them because I, I like them but it's never something i'm like gotta have especially like during the season like if you're sitting there like what is, do you want this pumpkin ale or an Oktoberfest? Like, give me the, give me the Oktoberfest. Yeah. I tried to force myself a while ago to have pumpkin beers, and I think it was a Magic Hat pumpkin, and that sat in the fridge for a long time. Well, I mean, there's your problem. Yeah, it was a Magic Hat. It was a Magic Hat. Right. But, no, Vermont, I mean, if you're listening, get a better brewery. Just, no, just Ber- Bernie Sanders. Just destroy it. It's in your state. Get rid of it. <laughs> Close it down. Yeah. All right. So... Oktoberfests are on the menu for this month, and try, we'll try to sneak in some ciders. Yeah, try we'll to get sneak cider. in some something pumpkin. It's all gonna all right. vary and depend on what the hell we got available. So we'll say this week is uh, th- this was Martin's pick, Left Hand Brewing's Oktoberfest. Uh, next week I got the pick. It's definitely not going to be a pumpkin, that's for sure. So you're, don't not, ex- you're not going to find. Don't like, expect pumpkin. at this point. It'd probably be like a almost nine year old uh, like Sam Adams bottle of Fat Jack. Yeah, the Fat Jack. That double pumpkin. I guarantee if you go to... Uh, if you can. if I was going to get a pumpkin, it would probably be something like the um, the uh, Southern Tier uh, pumpkin with... The, like the Bourbon Barrel Pumpkin Ale or something like that. Something that's like a limited release that I would try. I remember really liking the Fat Jack, too. Yeah, Fat Jack wasn't bad. Yeah. That was back when Sam Adams was kind of creative. Yeah, I mean, they were putting out those little 16-ounce bottles. Oh, 24. 24-ounce bottles of I missed different it. stuff. The Tasman it. Red IPA and, of course, our favorite, the Baltic. Remember that fucking no, smoky-ass? I'm, I'm just kidding. It, it, it's, it's the Merry Mischief. Yeah. When they renamed it the next year, the Merry Maker, we both were very angry. Yeah. Remember that fucking smoky-ass uh, double bock that they had? Ugh. Like the Cinderbox. Yeah, that was yeah. awful. But that, I honestly, but I, those are, I but, wish that Sam was still doing that. Yeah, because that one, was ex, 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 well, exactly what you want, where they were like trying out different styles. Well, one, it was new, new, different things that they were trying to collective bottles. I love the artwork on the bottles; yeah. they were really cool. But then, like you know, they just now they're just. I blame the whole like Rebel IPA thing, which by the way, can you even get Rebel IPA anymore? They stopped fucking doing that for Sam seventy six. They may have, yeah. Jesus Christ, fuck Jim Cook. When I was in Boston, um, <laughs> the Sam seventy six was like everywhere. 
So like that was like your standard now. It's it's not even the Boston Lager. Right. It's the CM76. Yeah, that's that's the the standard beer now. Jesus. That they put out. Yep. That's sad. How it's amazing it only just took a couple. Of, granted like they're all like as we said. This is our weekly bitching session. They're all just like slowly but surely kind of falling all falling down the ladder to mediocrity and you like that. You like you like having a podcast where you can just do your weekly bitching session, right? It's nice. Even if no one listens to it. They're like, fucking buy this beer talk, I'm skipping past it. <laughs> oh, Jason Muse posted on our Twitter? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I was actually looking to see if I had any um um promos to do. Because I knew that uh someone was gonna give us a promo, but uh I guess it's not ready this week, so we'll do it next week. No problem. Uh, but I'll, pro- I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised we're not like three weeks behind. I'll throw the promo out anyway, though. Listen, you know what you need to do, actually? You need to call up Blue Chew and have them sponsor us. Yeah? Because all the podcasts I listen to, they're all sponsored by Blue Chew. <laughs> I'll try it. We'll see. You know what Blue Chew is? Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. You told me about it. You actually yeah. have talked about it on the show before. Yeah, it makes your dick hard. Don't give them, any, don't, don't give them an advertisement. They're not paying us yet. Well, that's how you start off. You gotta yeah, start right. chilling. You start, you start just start talking about it. No, but I will. I will throw out the promo without actually having the the script that they were gonna send us. Uh, uh, go listen to. <laughs> Wait, God, is this? Oh, you're, you're crashing things all over the place here. Oh my God. Go listen to uh, Real AKA Truth podcast, um, which we've done a promo on before, and uh, they're friends. They help us uh, share our our show and everything. So. Uh, go uh, listen to them. You can find them anywhere. Stitcher, podcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere like that. Um, also, you can find them on Twitter at Real AKA Truth Pod. So it's not going to have that for the rest of the episode. That's okay. You, you don't pop too much anyway. It's just a pop filter. That no, if I, I know. I know. If anything, it's you. Now with yeah, your, I probably need the pop filter more than you. With your hiccups. And, and your oh, a um, little news that uh, will maybe be exciting to people listening. Um, we are. I'm actually getting a new house. So as we move into the new house, we are planning on making a much a more dedicated space for podcasting. Uh, so hopefully the quality of the podcast will improve. And I don't mean the content. The content is always going to be shit. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the actual sound itself may improve. So we're we're hoping to do some some changes. Um, to and, and I know Martin is really looking forward to this. I think we're going to get one of those swivel mics. So we can just and we might we might film it just because he wants to film himself pulling the swivel mic close to himself. So um, that's that's in the cards for it's the literally near future. the best part about watching like um, like act, like pot like actual like, pod- like actual pot like professional podcast professional podcasters or like us. or like radio host you know just watching them constantly mess yeah. around with the mic right. No. So you know, thing- you'd be great. You don't know. No. That's gonna be our Tim and Eric esque, you know, uh riff. We're gonna I'll be doing the fucking jingling around the mic and then you're gonna be Joe Rogan just sitting there statue esque, not even fucking like <laughs> You ever watch Joe Rogan? No, I don't. You know, no. He just sits there and he's like, Wow man, that's really cool. So how the fuck does that work? Wow. <laughs> and he's just sitting there. You yeah, gotta look look at no, I know. I, I, I look at me. He's just I've sitting there. Him, I know. And his shoulders just like tight up against his yeah. fucking bulba's head going, Yeah, man, that's yeah, wow. Uh, so tell me, Neil deGrasse, uh, how does that work? Really? Wow. Yeah. That's no, so I, I, I know. I know. 
All right, we gotta get to the show. We gotta get to the actual Black Sabbath. We, that is, is a show. This is this is the Halloween episodes, and we're talking about Joe Rogan. I mean, he's scary enough for sure, but we gotta get to the Halloween stuff, the, the spookies. Look, if you don't want to talk about Joe Rogan, then I don't know. I even have a podcast. We gotta get to the spookies. All right, so. Damn it! <laughs> Before Black Sabbath. The Damn it! So, inspired by the movie, I guess. Uh, really? To change their name, yeah. Oh, wow. Did yeah. not know that. I didn't know their name was Earth, and they decided to change it. And then there was another band that came along called that named themselves Earth. And there was a band that named themselves Sun. Wow. Well, Wind and Fire. No, that was different. That's, oh. that's a funk band. Got their big break in Sweet Sweetbacks, badass song. Yeah. All right. That's for a different month. Yeah, that's a different time. Um, all right, so uh, let's start off. We'll, we'll start off with the first segment in this uh, film, The Telephone. Oh, we're not talking about Boris Karloff? We already did. We already talked about him a little bit. I mean, he basically, we said, as a narrator, not really that necessary. I don't know why they chose to, you know, have him do the narration, but not really give it... Any point. I or mean, context it's... context. Yeah, just, no, there's... there's like, nothing, just, we're just gonna... You know what they were like? They were we like... some stories They were like, you. Boris Karloff, you look pretty good. Um, still looking good for your age. We're gonna put you behind... We're gonna put you in front of a purple background. Couldn't get Rod Sterling. Um, Jackson, in 63, is Twilight Zone still, even still going? Sterling, but... Uh, we'll go... Like, Sterling. Rod Sterling. Oh, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sterling. My bad. Yeah, you're watching Whoop. too much baseball. Whoopsie. Goddamn right. John <laughs> Sterling. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, I guess the only thing about the intro with, with uh, Boris Karloff is that it's it's artistic. You know, that, that uh, purpley, stormy background behind him, the whole, I don't know, the just the, the whole... Palette? Yeah, the palette is nice. It's, uh... I like it. I think I call it gaudy. You think it's gaudy? I Very good. All like the powders and lavenders and like all. The, I like all it. like I, all the different hues of pur- I, purple. They I have definitely. In this. It's probably an acquired taste, or or you know, people who will like it and people who will not like it. No, it it looks fucking gaudy. Shit. I like it. I think it's just got. It gives it character. It gives it. It's, no, it does give it personality and like pizzazz and moxie, but it's just, it's just, it's just like immediately when I see that lavender on uh, Boris Karloff's face, I'm like, I'm drawn in. I'm like, all right, uh, I'm into this. So I think it did its job for me at least. Where I was like, all right, um, this looks interesting. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about the telephone, which is the first segment in this movie. Um, the se- this segment. It, so every segment actually is kind of um, just basically introdu- introduced by yellow text, like a t- like, it's like, like a TV a, show, yeah, like a TV episode, yeah. Very uh, very basic on how it's introduced. You get the name. It just kind of everything kind of just rolls into each other. Um, actually, Boris Karloff doesn't even really. He doesn't have any he segments he, between. Doesn't it's, doesn't we? Yeah, we said that. Also, he doesn't like set up any of the stories or like nope. what's about to happen or anything. Nope, just uh, he's at the beginning. It's just he's at the end. Title card for that. Yep. Cast. Roll into it. Go. Yep. Uh, which is interesting. I think. I, I mean, I, I don't mind. I don't mind that there's no lead up to it. Um, I think in this case, because the 
because the stories are so disconnected from each other, there really is like I, I feel like with Black Sabbath, there's no connecting it. There's no like contextual thing except maybe to say I these think, were all influenced by very famous authors. I think more so it's that maybe they had an idea to do one of these stories as a feature film, and they couldn't make it a feature film. Mm. They didn't happen. Have enough to go with it, and so they're like, "Well, you know what? We'll just do it as a short story, and we'll do something else." I think the telephone—that's what—that's that's what it feels like all, yeah. for all three stories. Is like, oh, that'd be like a good movie, and then like, oh shit, we don't have enough to make a movie. Yeah, I think the telephone is a pretty good example of that. The telephone is a short story that really is so short that even as a short film, it's too long. Thirty minutes is and and. I guess it's maybe not 30 minutes, a little bit shorter, but even that is too long for the telephone because it is a story that really doesn't have much going on. Um, the entirety of the opening parts of the, this uh, short story are just a woman who won't answer the goddamn phone and the it annoyance makes, of, makes you thank God for answering machines yeah. today, which again, is kind of an antiquated thing because... Who the fuck has a landline today? The annoyance of that phone ringing is just like to the point where you'd be like, just throw it out the window. Just get rid of it because I don't want to hear it anymore. And and that's from watching this short film for like 20 minutes. So somebody living that, that's that's rough. But um, I, I think that this short film really, it did not have much to go on. And so if it was at all intended to be a feature-length film, uh, someone had a really bad idea. <laughs> I mean, because there's just not that much going on. Well, I think it could have been a feature-length film if they just, like, you have to add substance to it. So, like, maybe have the premise set around about a stalker who, yeah, you know, I'm, is stalking them I, and ca- calls them up. It's, like, it's very early, you know, like, Scream-esque. I mean, I think that this is, like, so it has giallo tendencies, it has the black gloves, it has a knife, and, and Baba even seems to be hinting at that. Like, Well, the killer doesn't wear the gloves. Right, exactly. So he's hinting. We see a woman wearing the driving gloves. We see um, Mary, who is uh, what the, the short considers to be the lesbian lover of our main character, Rosie. And she's not wearing, considers. She she is. The she is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so she's wearing the driving gloves and she's pulling the knife, uh, which is sort of Baba's wink to the audience. Like, yeah, this is sort of a giallo, but uh, I'm going to mix things up a little bit. And um, so we do have that in some ways. But I think that the telephone really plays out like it could be a scene in a giallo film, not a full-length story. Or, um, or an act. Yeah, right. I would, like, I, would, I, would, like, I would say like an act. It's like. a very... Um, I would say that it's it's elongated to... It, it's like... I, I would say a problem. It's elongated to a problem. It's not... It, there's not enough substance to really make it so extensive in this movie. See, I would disagree with you. It is long, yes, but it's, I think, by far the best... Short story. Mm, okay, so we got that out already. You think it's the best short story yes, of do. Black Sabbath? I do. I, you know, um, as somebody who's been unfamiliar with Jails going coming into the podcast, come to find I kind of like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the murder mystery quality. You know, I know they all have like a lot, of, like in, they've all been a varying quality, but I I like them. And as this as a premise, I like it. It's simple. 
it's easy to follow and understand. Some um, strangers calling this woman, harassing her and stalking her and watching her. And she's afraid for her life and it plays out. It's a lot, it's not like as nearly as in depth as like the second story we get. But I think the intrigue alone of what goes on is interesting enough. Yeah. And then there's the and there's a twist in it too. It's not just playing out as you Well they all have a little, like, you know, a little twist, yeah. but and the, you know what I mean? But I, I, I do enjoy this probably the most. But you're right, it is long for what it happens in the story. I think it's just repetitive. It's uh there's a lot of things that, that keep happening. Well like, I think the fact that they don't they don't they're not able because every well mainly this one it's all set in this her fucking Bastille-esque bedroom whatever the fuck mm-hmm. so the fact that they're limited to this one you know setting I think limits the dynamics of what they're able to do right story wise like she's not able to like oh, I'm gonna go to the police or do this or that it's all just her bedroom her home yeah I just think that. Um as a like as taking it as a shallow, it's not the most fleshed out shallow film. Um, the twist is like way it's it's pretty obvious. Um, I would say that you know it's still a good twist in that that though the audience expects it, it's still fun and it still has that sort sense of like humor about it. That you know she invited this woman. To her apartment, and she pretends to be the killer, and yet she's actually not the killer. And uh, Bava kind of plays with your expectations because even towards the end of the short, um, we see you know our our character Rosie laying on the bed as though she's been poisoned. With, well, she was tranked. Yeah, she was tranked. And Mary yeah, I mean, writing, I mean, writing a note. Say because her girlfriend even says you know yeah. like when she's like, "What is that poison?" I'm just kidding. no, it's trank. You need you need to calm down. You, you know. Back yeah. when the barbiturates were just flowing through, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's, 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 she's writing a letter and saying, you know, I pretended to be this killer because I wanted to which come that, over and which see you one last time. Which that's unnecessary, you know, adding the whole, like, I was just doing it for giggles. Cause, oh, you mean the adding the letter? Yeah. You didn't want the narration of what she was doing. Yeah, because it's obvious. Because yeah. when she was like, when she, you know, Rosie calls her up and is like, I'm so scared. He's threatening me. And he, she's like, oh, like, this I thought, is a perfect opportunity for me to get back in bed with this woman. Well, because she was like, because, you know, she's like, oh, I, you know, I thought you said you, last time you didn't ever want to see me again. You know, that it's, you know, it wasn't going to work out for you. Like, no, I'm so scared. I need you right now. And, and then she's like, oh, I'll come over. I, I don't hold a grudge. You know, wink, wink. Yeah. So. It's actually. Uh, I would say you you were kind of joking about it, but it is pretty uh, progressive for this film. It is no, it, it is, and and especially because Baba never really does have a very like lurid display, like yeah, they're lesbians, you know. Oh yeah, they just got undressed together. Well, stuff you like know, that. it's a lesbian relationship, but the other one, our protagonist, she's bisexual. So yeah, it's, you know. Wow. I, I, I just I did like the fact that they. There was never, like, this really, like, pornographic moment where it was like, yeah, they're lesbians. You know, it was more so... Well, I think that they couldn't... That, they wouldn't be able to get... No, even, but... Like, even in Italy in 1963, they'd be like... Oh, yeah, yeah. But still, <laughs> the understatement of it all is kind of nice. That they're just like, 
yeah, you know, you said you didn't want to see me again and, you know, but I couldn't stay away from you. Stuff like that. That's all understated lesbianism and I liked it. I mean, I think and the funny thing is, is that it was then re-released in America with that stuff cut out because even that was too risque for American audiences to know that these two women might have been rubbing muffs, you know, not might. They are. Oh, yeah, they are for sure. You see those uh, fancy uh, nightgowns that they were wearing? Mm-hmm. And obviously Rosie, too. She's got, like, a bathrobe, a house, a robe. house robe. What the fuck's a house robe? A work robe. <laughs> she's got all the robes. So she's definitely ready a for... A robes, Pierre. She's got uh, the sex robe. That's the one that just has, like, a, a <laughs> the sash around the middle. But nothing else. That's just a sash. Uh, yeah, so... so but I did like the the understated lesbianism. That's that's a very cool aspect of this. That um, is like it's just very low key, minor, but still an aspect of the film that uh, makes a difference in the storyline. And I w- I think like we didn't watch the American version, so but I think that you would miss something with that cut out. Like it would there would just be something lost in like. Why is she calling this lady to come over? You know, just just really randomly calling another lady who has a who's got wants some vengeance against her. It does it wouldn't make sense. I think that you would lose something in in the uh, translation of it. So I was thinking, see, because before, like, we got like started getting things into when we introduced her her into the story. Um, I was thinking maybe the direction it was going to go was, um. She used to, Rosie used to be with Frank. He goes to prison and she breaks it off. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to be a plot against her with Frank and the other girl being like, we, you fool, we were lovers this entire time, you know, we're going to get rid of you, you know. Yeah. I do think that the uh, inclusion of Frank as the actual killer is a little bit on the nose just because of the, you know, we, we get that newspaper article that slipped through. Where he's literally giving the newspaper article that says, you know, Frank has escaped prison. Stuff like that. I think it's a little on the nose just because it's so expected. But um, at the same time, I guess Bava was thinking, you know, your expectations were already sort of pushed aside because, you know, you see um, another character, a woman character who could be the killer. So you're not thinking that Frank will actually be the one that is has been there the whole time peeping on. Uh, Rosie, so. see, I'm got amazing eyesight to be able to fucking track her movements through uh, the tiniest little slit in her blinds. Well, the one thing I liked about Frank too is that in the whole story is that you can't really assume that Mary is the one that has been doing the peeping because it doesn't make sense. We see the eyesight, we see the peeping coming through the blinds, and then we see Mary on the other end of the telephone. So there's really no way that Mary could be like running back to her house <laughs> from the blinds. Unless they literally live next door. And Mary does get there pretty quickly. So maybe they do live next door. I don't know. Um, but you, as an audience member, like you just you can see like it doesn't really make sense that Mary could be in these places all at once. You have to suspend some disbelief if you're going to think that Mary is the killer. Just doesn't make sense. Um, but the telephone has uh, like a lot of um, aspects of Baba films that would come to play later on. So especially in like Blood and Black Lace. You have um, the very ornate uh, living areas 
Like you mentioned, porcelain. This, this lady has shit. fucking every like antiques everywhere. Porcelain, yeah, just like porcelain lying all around, like a sofa and a chair. Like the the whole set of the not just this store, but like all the sets. But this one, like in particular, is like is like is this her apartment? Is this her house? What the fuck is it? Very much a trope of uh, Baba. Phil. It sounds like like you know she lives in this big ornate mansion, but everything that should be in the house is just crammed into this one bedroom. Whose bedroom is literally like you open the door like, hi, this is where I sleep balls naked. (laughs) Yeah, in the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but that's just a a trope of a Baba film. And the other thing is the constant color schemes that are happening. Um, The telephone probably isn't the most colorful uh, short in this movie. But it does have its color elements. um, Like the telephone. The red telephone. Signifying death. Red and black telephone. Don't, don't you love that? Symbolism. Yeah. And Baba does love his telephones, too. <laughs> Not only is the telephone featured here, it's also in this the third short, um, The Drop of Water. It's a big part of uh, Blood and Black Lace. He loves his telephone. Looks well, it's, it's like a staple of Joe's. Yeah. Killer calling up on like the phone, threatening you, and... But the way they threaten, apparently, the way, apparently the way you threaten someone in Italian is you like speak sweet nothings into their ears. You know, in Italian, like I'm going to murder you. I'm going, I'm going. I want to watch you bleed and die. Your beautiful body, your silky body. I'm going to strangle you. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's that's what they all are. It's, it's, it's like muttering in the phone, like who are you? And you're just like I'm going to murder you. Taking a trip to Italy next year, bringing a phone with me. Going to do that myself. Um. Yeah, so so you've already said telephone, your favorite uh, short yeah, film. Yeah, I, I I do I do enjoy this. Again, I the flaws you point out, I I totally agree with. But I think it's still interesting enough. I think it could have been an interesting like opening to like a JLO film and lead into something else. Yeah, maybe the police show up and get in ourselves. Yes, you would say nice Blitzyatetsky. Yeah, you know. John Saxon's nowhere to be found, so no, we, we didn't get that. But no, I, I do think it's good. I, I really enjoyed it. It's um, because by the time you get to the end, where like before Frank shows up, you kind of think like it's gonna end on like, oh, this is all just like a, just a big joke. It's kind of like April Fool's Day, like where you know, right? Nothing actually really happens in yeah, the film. You know, it it's all, like, yeah, it seems it's like all, she was just let on, and yeah. and it was all just a joke it to is, get Mary yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Which that would be like the Twilight Zone style ending, and ending maybe on like a slightly creepier note. But no, they went the whole jail around. Like now, the killer's gonna show up in his nice suit. Now, but he's not wearing any driver's gloves, and he finds panty stockings, and he's like, "Ugh, strangle a bitch with these." Which I find to be ridiculous. You mean to tell me those didn't rip in half when he's like strangling her? Well, you know, you're watching a jail too when the female is so weak that she's like not gonna stop. The murderer. Well, she's also tranked up, so she's true. Coming, I, guess, off, I guess coming off of being. I guess you can use that, but horse train. I do. I do love just her, just staring in awe at the murderer. That her killing. Mary. Well, both her lovers are. Yeah, you know. both, both her lovers are are in death throes there. So yeah, uh, I will say that uh, the telephone is not my favorite. So we'll leave it at that for now. Okay. Um, I and I'll also say the Vertilock is not my favorite film. Uh, actually, it's my least favorite of the three segments in um, this movie. Um, the Vertilock is 
based on a uh, Tolstoy story. It's a, this is where this yeah. is a, the uh, part of the series that we call Ryan's English knowledge background. Actually, I don't have much knowledge on this. Uh, I don't have any lo- actually. I don't have any knowledge on Tolstoy's Verdelock. Well, why weren't you? You know, instead of taking that class in the King's King James Bible, maybe you should have done something more practical, like Russian literature. Russian literature, yeah. So uh, Tolstoy uh, wrote the Verdelock. Actually, it's like the family of Verdelock or something like that. And um, this is loosely adapted from it. Um, although, if you read the summary of the his story of the Verdelock, it's pretty similar. Um, they they used quite a bit of the storyline from Tolstoy's story, uh, which is actually a novella, I guess. And um, they sort of adapted it into film and made it into more of a Hammer film than anything it's else. totally. Yeah. This is like, so the first part of this movie is like Bava doing Bava. The second segment, the Verdelock, is Bava doing Hammer at the time. So in the 60s, this was like a perfect scenario of Baba showing how he could do a Hammer film because it's pretty much point for point what you would get from Hammer. Yeah, whether it be Frankenstein, Dracula, the mummy, whatever. Mostly the vampire stuff from from Hammer. It's very close. Color palette. Yeah. Setting. Costumes. Females. Yeah. (laughs) Females with the busts. It's literally just missing Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I think to me makes this very disappointing because it's hammer, but it's not good hammer. Right. So, so the tone is there. The hammer tone is there and hammer films, especially from this time period are slow. They are very slow. Um, but they do have some redeeming qualities in that they have like Cushing or Lee um, people that can really very reputable, yeah. talented. They really can then can sustain the screen time, and the Vertilock doesn't really have that. It has Boris Karloff, who shows up as the um, the patriarch of this uh, family. His name is uh, Giorgio, which I or no, I'm sorry, his name is Gorka. He's the patriarch of this movie or this uh, this short film. Um, and so he is sort of like the lead in this, but I would say that no one really takes the lead here like Cushing or Lee does. Um, and so you, you do have the hammer aspect of it and the slowness that hammer that comes with hammer. Uh, but it never really picks up. There's never really anything that, um, seems surprising about the Verdelock. I will say that because the Verdelock is basically a vampire story and it's pretty straightforward in its vampire story. But it doesn't have the suspense either that like, you know, where you'd have like a hammer film, like Cushing as Van Helsing, like stalking, like not Christopher Lee perhaps in this scene, but like one of the vampires, you know, that have been recently turned and trying to figure it out and the mystery behind it. Yeah. Here it's all very straightforward and there's no really, no real, Tense moments mm-hmm. that you would get in, like, say, like a, a Hammer film. Yeah, because it's it's literally aesthetically, musically, sound yeah. effects, every everything is like beat for beat Hammer. But I don't think the actors in the film nor the story itself are enough to carry it and make it as interesting as a Hammer film. Yeah, I would say like the Verdelock storyline of it's it's they call it a corpse that comes back. Uh, in this case, after not a corpse, a Turk. 
Yeah. Turk. Well, the Turk is the one that puts it together, first off. He's the one that's responsible mm-hmm. for the Verdalock. But then the corpses that come back, I mean, they're basically vampires. They want to suck blood. They, when they suck blood, the person turns into a Verdalock. It's a vampire story. Plain and simple. And um, I would say that for the most part, while the set pieces are nice, you know, you have the the classic um, uh, like origin pieces. Yeah, Sleepy Village, um, horse riding, uh, clothing design. All of that is really well done. Um, There's real the, the plot itself just doesn't really land. Uh, it's very, very slow. The care it's it's a lot about developing the characters. Um, and the f- one funny thing about the movie is that um, Sedanka and Vladimir, they fall in love like literally immediately. It's like Vladimir comes to this house. He's going to have dinner. He meets Sedanka and then bam, they're in love. No, he's in love. Doesn't that always happen to you? You just go to somebody's house. You see an, a new woman and you're like, I love her. Well, I'm going to elope with her. I know this isn't real love because there was no soft focus lens. That's true. If there, if it was true love that he was feeling for her, there'd be, especially in the 60s, very big soft focus lens on that woman. The, but there's not. The one thing that I will say about um, the Vertilock that I think works pretty well is when the child comes back from the dead. Yes. And is sort of like standing at the doorway, just like, like. Putting his hands on the doorway, like 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 a fucking omen. Like yeah, he's like you know, dang. that's a that's a pretty good scene. Um, because the child is disconcertingly uh, weird looking. Anyway, he's like both three oh, and fifteen. Because <laughs> his hair, yeah. yes, exactly. Like <laughs> I, he's like very disconcerting to me, even when he's alive in the film. I I'm disconcerted by the one son. Um, uh, one of Boris Karloff's sons. Um, the one that's married to the woman, Maria, and yes, the, so um, like yeah, the, I, the main the fa- guy, yeah. yeah, the father of Ivan. Because I was disconcerted. I think that's Giorgio. Yeah, because the, the entire time I'm looking at him, like he looks like Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek and Next Gen. <laughs> he looks like he's go look up Jonathan Frakes, Will Riker. That's what he looks. He looks like Will Riker. I'm like, did Will Riker get trapped in in Russia in the 19th century on like an Enterprise mission? Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but the, the kid was very disconcerting to me just because you can't tell his age. And he's very, very much three to 15. And it'd be great if, like, you know, he uh, one face looks like a child and like another one, he looks old and decrepit. That would be a good idea. Kind of kind of like in the kids knock era. Yeah. I w- you know, like the, the old, like, telepathic yeah, I know, kids. Yeah, yeah. I wish that they had actually um, shown more of the kid because, like, after he comes back, they really don't. They show the adults that come back as Vertilox, but they don't show the kid. They don't like they don't show his actual face or anything. They well, I think they show him at the door, but then after that, he transforms into Boris Karloff. So. <laughs> Even greater evil, I think. Though yeah. um, his like the blue lighting that I think was a good use of like that blue lighting because when he's outside, yeah, because he's saying he's cold. They can kind of you know that that was really cool. I think a good use of that. Um, yeah, and that you know that worked well. Um, yeah. But other than that, I think it's safe to say that, for me at least, this was my least favorite of the three segments in the in the film. I don't know about for you. Um, it. I'll have to think about it. All right, all right. I'll have so, to think about so we're it. We're not there yet. I mean, like I said, I think it's a good idea. You know, because again, I love Hammer Horror. Mm-hmm. 
you know, especially like the earlier films where, you know, they were doing fun, interesting things, you know, obviously like all films like down the line, they get perpetually worse and worse. But, you know, like those first few ones, like the the remake of The Mummy and, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein, they're very good. You know, just, those films really show how underrated an actor uh, Peter Cushing is. So you kind of like it just because it's. I like. I do. I, I do. I really do like the aesthetic and like what they were trying to do. I just don't think it's the story and the actors are there enough to carry it. I think some Baba's touches kind of are a detriment too. And you don't the like style. the sound effects. No, no, that fucking wind whistling and howling the entire time is abysmal. Yeah, it's a very, uh, very. Um I don't know, the stock, it's a stock sound effect. And it does crop up in Hammer, but in here... Well, it's throughout it's the entire thing. Yeah. Th- 35 minutes of just the wind... Whoosh, you know, yeah, wind whipping. It, it's obnoxious. Yeah. Though I will say the best part about the whole thing is when Boris Karloff's riding his horse. It's the Ocarina of... Every time you see him riding, it's the Ocarina of Time intro. You just need to start playing, you know, the Zelda theme. You know? I do like that... It's very clear that he's not ri- really riding a horse. And then the film at the end makes it clear that he's not riding a horse. So I like that because it was sort of like a tongue-in-cheek, like, yeah, we're going to make a joke about it. Because we also realize that this does not look like Boris Karloff is riding a horse. It would be very impressive for a man of his age. You yeah, know, be, I was thinking that. Yeah. Be, you know, running about on a horse, you know. Yeah, especially at the beginning when it says, you know, it says starring Boris Karloff. And then you see the guy riding the horse, and it actually turns out to be um, uh, Vladimir. Vladimir. But uh, I was thinking, like, oh, did they put fucking old Boris Karloff on a horse here at the beginning? Keep him up there. Yeah. <laughs> Ride the horse. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So the last segment in this film is called The Drop of Water. Uh, apparently, Sounds like a Japanese horror film. Yeah, it does, kind of. Apparently based on a short story by Guy de Maupassant. Uh, Which is also based off of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, I don't know which one of these came first, yeah, but... Yeah, it's very... Very telltale, telltale hard ass. Poean, Poean story here. Um, I would say that the, the Drop of Water is probably my favorite of the three segments in this. Um, and I will say that because I do like the the dead lady that shows up in this one. Um, very creepy. Uh, I think that the design is well done, especially when you only see her from afar. Um, and I like to say that she's like the uh, Zelda of Pet Cemetery for this film because uh, very creepy. Um, the wasting disease that she apparently has, you know, as as an older lady, kind of wasting away. Uh, pretty realistic to. How people, how dead people look when they have sort of a wasting disease or something like that, where they're old and you know decrepit and stuff. So I thought it was pretty effective. Um, I just think I do think that uh, in some ways there is some flaws when you actually see it more up close uh, towards I, the I end of think, the film. I don't think the HD helps it. Oh yeah, probably not. Probably I not. think yeah. it, I mean as much as I was kind of joking with you about, it, I'm like, no, it looks like a fucking rubber mask, like you know, really plasticky and rubber. yeah. Um, I do think it looks good. I just I don't think it's something that it would have looked good at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I I don't think though watching it now in like 1080p, uh, I think it's like, is doing it any favor because that with it being so picture you know clear you can see like how like yeah that's like a fucking plastic mask they just like, fitting on there. Yeah, you know. yeah. I think like if there was a little bit more you know crunch and 
stuff like that, you would you you would not see all the details, so you sort of get a better picture of like, wow, that's kind of creepy, you know. I do know, but I do agree it works. It's, yeah, it's, you know. And uh, the the other thing I like about it is that it shows Baba sort of um, figuring out some more of his creative lighting elements um, and getting ready for Blood and Black Lace, which is a year later. Um, you've got a lot of purples and blues and green lighting uh, throughout, especially because they have to be really creative with this the woman's apartment, the main character's apartment, because she lives in sort of like a, I don't know, like a, it looks like it's a like an apartment above like a bar or something that has like a neon flashing light outside. And uh, so they have to be creative about the lighting that they do. And she has like a bathroom that has a purple light in it because you see like she goes into the bathroom to turn off the water. And then when she leaves, there's like a purple light shining into her bathtub that's turning her bath water purple. It's pretty cool. I mean, I wish I had my house like that. I don't think it's like a neon light. I think it's supposed to be like... Uh, yeah, it's just like, like sort of like a flashing... Like spiritual... Because it's an old-timey thing. There's no neon light. She was playing a fucking phonogram. That's true. That's true. Yeah, she... It's not neon, but it's a flashing light that she has in her house. Yeah. I I I, uh, I like the lighting in this one. I think it's it's effective and creative and makes an atmosphere that, that works. And uh, it goes a little bit further than the telephone. The telephone has some... Some of the same color schemes, but I think that this one goes even further with that lighting, and uh, I think it works really well. Um, it's a really simple story. It's really there's nothing. It, it, for me, it doesn't pick up until the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. I do enjoy the whole end. You know, the rising to the you know climax of her. You know, hearing the drops of water constantly and the flies flying around and. Because because everything leading up to it, it's very just kind of dull and drab and like mm-hmm. all right, let's let's go. But once you get to the, like the whole climax, that's interesting and really cool, and I like that. And then it, what the ending is, I like that too. I think the the thing about it is that at least we don't have to. It's the story is not as long as the Verlock. You don't have as much lead up, even if it's a longer lead up to it, where you have her going over and doing the whole. Um, you know, the finalization of this woman's burial. Um, you don't have the, like, it's not like 20 minutes of lead up like the Vertiloc is. It's a shorter lead up time. So even though, you know, half of it is spent on lead up, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's too long. Uh, I think it's like a perfect length for, for the story that it's telling. I think it doesn't help though, that because it's following the Vertiloc, it feels like it's forever. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it does feel a little bit longer because of that, but, um, I definitely like this one, and I like I like the end too because it has that sort of like wraparound Twilight Zone yeah uh, theme about it. That's what I like about it too. I love the whole fact that because she stole this ring and is haunted and killed for it, the person who finds her next steals the ring as yeah. well, and then it all wraps around like she's going to suffer the same exact fate. Definitely has that Twilight Zone theme, uh, Japanese like again another like Japanese curse theme. Of just like you know the a cursed object that keep it keeps happening like over and over again, um, cool idea. Now I want to know what the the fly represents for where the ring is and constantly following them around. Mm-hmm. That that's very like Italian filmy. Ask just having like random fucking bugs. Yeah, for like pestilence. Yeah, yeah, because they're big on that. You know, from like what we've seen with like Suspiria and. 
you know, phenomenon, just having, like, maggots and flies and shit. Like, oh, evil things, pestilence. But I did like that. I did like that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that it's probably one of the more... Um, it's simple, but it's effective, and it doesn't really overstay its welcome. Um, I would say... I, I also think it's probably the less slow of the three short films in this. Um, because it's actually moving towards something and it has a couple of different settings. So the two settings as well help to, um, you know, differentiate, yeah, differentiate, get you out of like a stagnancy that maybe like the telephone has, uh, where it's only set in one specific area. Um, so I learned a lot, even though it's like set in a couple of different areas, it, it does seem like it's set mainly just in yeah, the house. It's kind of stagnant in that. Regard. Which I would say the stories kind of themselves all come across once they're filmed and shot like as like a like place. Like yeah. They they're very much yeah. seem like it's all like a stage play. Yep, I would say that. You know, all of these could be done as a stage play. It's re- it would have been very easy to do it just as a stage play. So yeah, wasn't gonna say wasn't the telephone stage? The, yeah, so Chekhov's telephone, which is sort of, and I would say really, really um, minorly taken from Chekhov's play. Um, I mean, it's influenced by by a play. Still so, going on. It's ad infinitum. Yeah. So I mean, I, <laughs> I I like what Bob is doing here. He's taking classic stories and he's kind of giving them a twist for the '60s and sort of ramping them up a little bit. And uh, I think what we get is, uh, especially for the 60s, something that kind of pushes boundaries a little bit. Um, doesn't It might not seem like it now. Like, especially watching things like the telephone where the lesbianism is really sort of minor. I mean, it's really not... It's not explicit. It's explicit in the sense that it's said. It's explicit in the sense that it's said, but it's explicit in the sense that... It's, I mean, it's not explicit in the sense that it's not shown. Right, exactly. Like, there's, there's no f- physicality to it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just... They were once lovers. Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting. I think, you know, in, in that respect, it's sort of ahead of its time. And uh, a really in, or interesting anthology series where Baba can show, um, you know, what he does and try to riff off Giallo films and then also tackle Hammer films in the same sense. And I would say that, um, you know, you have the the telephone as being sort of like Baba. That's that's Baba. Then you have uh, the Vertilock, which is Hammer. And then you have um, the drop of water, which is sort of Bava and Hammer, because you got to you it's, get a little bit is, of both. It is yeah. gothic, yes. yeah. You get you definitely get a little bit of both of those um, combined together. So I like that because it's like it's um, not jello, but like an Italian supernatural. Yeah. yeah, with with you know the aspect of the woman, like it's kind of like reminds me of like the supernatural moments, like Phenomena or, or uh, Suspiria. Um, yep, but you know it does have like you know. With kind of how the stalking's going, kind of like a jello. So no, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um. I I'm kind of curious though to why he chose a couple of Russian stories for this. Mm. Yeah. Or yeah. just what was the inspiration behind, or what thought process went into the stories that you decided to? Yeah, I'm not adapt. sure. Yeah, I don't I don't know uh, specifically why. And like I said, the telephone is really loosely adapted. Um. I don't know what the inspiration was for it, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Um, yeah. The other thing is um, that we didn't really talk about throughout. Um, the Telephone's soundtrack is really Score. interesting. Yeah, I love that. 
I love the little. It's like, definitely got the best score. The nice little jazzy, straight out of fucking Lupin. Very very like minimal jazzy bass lines that are throughout, and I it's like um it's like a what I call a sneaky jazz. You know, like some of those like someone's up to no good sly jazz. Yeah, it's very thumb snapping. Sit there and like. Kind of, you know what? It does kind of remind me too, of like Jeff Goldblum's album. Not yeah, the, like not the big band or the like loungy. Yeah, not the, like the big band or the stuff where people are singing, but just like the regular, just just straight jazz numbers. I yep. think. Uh, nice um, loungy soundtrack. Which is great because it's not that big band shit where you know trumpets and trombones just come crashing in like idiots. I do like that. It is good. It's so. It is very though. Not fitting of what's going on in the scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I really do love it, but again, it's not fitting of anything that's going on in the scene. But as I've said before, apparently Italians just love their dichotomies because that's Italian filmmaking in a nutshell. Oh, got this fucking stalking uh, weird scene. Gonna have fucking uh, Goblin over here playing this uh, Euro, uh, Euro disco song that doesn't fit. It's catchy. Don't fit though. Yeah. And then uh, the Vertilock has sort of like a really bombastic traditional, tra- yeah, traditional like, like hammer, um, uni- almost universal. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like, the yeah, or like almost, almost like what, you know, a lot of them, especially for like the 40s films, would just use stock, like orchestral Clap. music. Yeah. Cue that vibe. So, yeah, sort of, sort of like that, you know, just where they got like a stock orchestral song and they were like, you know what, we'll throw it in there. That's the best part about Native Living Dead. Yeah, just the, just the yeah, stock, stock yeah. stuff. Yep. And then um, I would say like the drop of water. Actually, the soundtrack doesn't really stick out to me that much, but um, it's more like it's like a it's nuanced. Like the, yeah, more like the Vertilock. Yeah, nuanced orchestral. I don't. I wouldn't say it's like bombastic like that, where it's sort of like a uh, outrageous orchestral score, but uh, it does have like a more minimal orchestra. What's going on, so. But no, yeah, I really, I would love to have, like, a copy of, like, the. Uh, the telephone. The telephone. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun, you know. Um, all right, so uh, did you decide what your favorite of the three was? Yeah, the telephone. The telephone's your favorite. Okay. Yeah. Telephone, telephone favorite? I, I, I think I might like Vertilock more than I like uh, Drop of Water. Yeah, all right. I mean, I like... I, I think mainly it's only carried because I like the hammer aspects of the Vertilock. Because I think on the whole, the story of the Drop of Water is better. I think, especially like the climax and like the rising action, I think that's great. I really love like the whole, like, you know, ghost chasing her and then what the repercussions of it are and then what happens afterwards. I love that. But I, I think the beginning of it is beginning of that story to me, even though it's the shortest story, it just seems so fucking dull compared mm. to the other two. Mm. You know, just her like, oh, let me go over here. I'll find what to do with the body. Oh, there's a ring. Oh! You know, it just, even though it's like the shortest of the two of the intros, it's still, to me, like, just feels like a fucking lifetime. Yeah. Um, that may be because of how the Vertilox was, but, <laughs> I mean, but again, it's, for me, I mean, if, if it wasn't the Vertilox, it'd literally be a toss-up. Yeah. But I definitely like the telephone the best. Yep. And 
it just makes me want to watch like more Jallos now. Just mm-hmm. like kind of get even more engrossed in the genre. Yeah. So, um, out of ten mechanical horses, well, you didn't rate yours. You said you liked the drop of water best, but what were your other two? Uh, uh, so I would say it's the drop of water, the telephone, and then the Vertilock. Vertilock is my last, my least favorite. It's just by because of how you have to pronounce it. No, it's can't because, can't, can't, can't say vampire. It's because maybe. I think it's a really sort of redundant hammer vampire film. That's all. Now I think what well, I'm curious: what would be more interesting to read, that or Dracula? Uh, you mean read the Vertilox the Tolstoy story yeah, or Dracula? Tol- or, yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Well, I've already read Dracula. But I I've haven't. Never, but I've never read Vertilox. I so. haven't read Dracula, but I hear it's a slog. Um, <laughs> I've read it a couple times, and I think it's a pretty good story. I don't, I don't know that it's a slog. It's, uh, I think you have to be ready for what it gives to you, which is basically diary entries. So if you're not really into reading like the diary entries of a story, it's not like a specific, it's not like a narrative story. No, I know that. So, I, think, um, I think the whole jumping from like as like a diary, that to me just makes it seem like it'd be yeah. a slog to get through. I, I like it. Um, I actually have the annotated Dracula, which I like. So it, so it gives you sort of like just annotations in the side Uh, of each yeah it's like oh yeah so you know it gives you a map of where they are and stuff like that so uh, i thought it was pretty interesting so uh yeah i have uh i've read it a couple times um vertilock never read so can't really can't really mention now you gotta yeah i'll have to check it out your next uh, so say be your next uh, book entry yeah for october yeah all right so out on a scale of out of 10 uh mechanical horses (laughs) what would you give um uh, Black Sabbath. Give it a seven. I think it's a pretty good anthology film. Um, a lot better actually than I thought it would be. I didn't think really have high expectations for the film. I didn't think I'd think it was all that good. I think it's pretty enjoyable. I think Boris Karloff's performance in the Vertilog is pretty good. Unfortunately, we don't get to hear his voice. I do really enjoy the telephone, even though it is long in the tooth and. Not a lot of substance there. Um, I do really just like the Jello atmosphere and the overall style of it. Um, I think the other two stories are decent, very flawed, but decent attempts. Um, I think overall it might have worked better if the, each story was like trimmed down a couple of minutes, maybe said ninety six minutes. It's like either like eighty five or eighty, you know. It, I don't think, you know, an hour and 20 film out of three stories would be bad, especially for the 60s. Um, but I do think it's good. I can see how this would be an influential film, too. So I would I would recommend checking it out for what it is. It's uh, engaging enough. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would give it a seven as well. I was uh, thinking the exact same thing. Um, I think it's pretty effective for what it is as an anthology film. Um, Baba certainly has his creative flares. And they are apparent in this one as well. Um, so a lot of his color schemes come out here. Um, you know, the photography is really well done in certain aspects. Um, I think that this may have been um, Bava trying to show that he could be, you know, a little bit of everything. He can do Jello, He can do Hammer Films. Um, he can do a combination. And so I like that it shows the range of what he can direct and uh, the stories that he can create. He's just missing Sword and Sandal. Yeah. I mean, and he'd already done that, so at that point, you know, why why showcase it again? Because it's sword and sandal. You should yeah. always do it. 
uh, yeah, like a Poeian sword and sandals. Listen, story. I want I want to see his six hour version of Ben Hur. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's effective. I, like I said, I I think that a couple of the stories are really good. Um, I think that the drop of water is a really good one. Um, the telephone also has its moments. Um, the Vertilock's okay. Uh, it's definitely more of a derivative Hammer film, but um, I don't mind it. And I think that they did a really good job with all of these, um, even though they don't really tie them together with any sort of context. It's more just like a trio of tales that Boris Karloff presents. I know. We just get him at the end riding his mechanical horseman. <laughs> so that's it, my friends. Yeah, not only Story. that, but it, take care. Then they zoom out and you see, yes, it is a mechanical horse and there's assholes running around with brush to make yeah. it look like he's passing brush and, you know, yeah, backdrop and it's, a camera. It's, it's kind of like a, a laugh at everybody. Everything like, yeah, this was a, just a movie. and Well, because he even says that, like, take care. It may have been spooky, but remember, these are just stories, you know. Yeah. Everything is on film, but be careful to watch the door when yes. you, you know, which makes sense because that's like, an you know, like the Crypt Keeper would be selling you, like, oh, these are all fun stories <laughs> but you better watch your ass you know yeah it's interesting like they just did the like, sort of like a meta thing there at the end where you know and there's really no indication that they're going to do that throughout the film no, just, just, just towards the end there they're you know they threw it pan in. out and there's the uh making of the film right there so it's uh interesting touch that baba had all right so that's the end of our first anthology film in our Halloween series. And we will be back next week with a film from the 70s. Which one? Yeah, we'll let you pick which one it is. We'll let you guess. Uh, we're not going to announce it. Uh, I'll, I'll probably put it out like next next week sometime. You'll get a at least a little tease. So um, you'll find out then. But uh, I'm not going to announce it right now. Uh, but thanks for listening. Uh, we hope to see you back for all of our Halloween. Which will continue throughout September and October. Uh, you can find us on Apple I, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on it, so leave us a nice review and and uh, give us a rating and subscribe. And uh, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. Uh, we uh, have a Podbean or a, a Pod. I'm sorry, a Patreon. Get it out. Yeah, I can't can't get it out. We have a Patreon account at uh, patreon.com slash Podcast where you can donate to us and um, help us fund the podcast. And then we have an email address at Podcast at gmail.com where you can write to us, let us know what you want us to cover on the show, and we will certainly take that into consideration. You can also leave us in anything that you don't like, you don't like about the show, and we'll certainly try to fix that as well. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for our next Anthalloween episode. Uh, And we hope to see you back all through October as we celebrate Halloween. Take care.